Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Rianne and Carlos to talk with us about the current landscape of web development in 2022. I know in the past, we've definitely covered various years of like where web development is, and it quite frankly changes so fast that we could probably do this every other month. So it's great to kind of follow up on what's happening in 2022. Rianne and Carlos, can you give brief introductions of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Cool. Uh, I can start. Uh, my name is Rian Von Ess. I'm a software engineer at SendCloud, which is a company in the Netherlands that handles connections between online store merchants and postal services, uh, helping people ship and do returns and things like that. Um, I'm originally from the UK, not from the Netherlands, as you might be able to tell. Uh, and I have a I live here with my my husband and my daughter, who's almost two, which is yeah what keeps me busy these days. Um, my favorite beverage is what I have right here, which is a good old fashioned gin and tonic. Call us over good to choice. you. Good choice. Nice, nice. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Carlos Castro. Uh, I work at Netflix as a senior software engineer on the web member platform. Um, I'm originally from Tijuana, Mexico. Woo! And um, my favorite happy hour drink is just normal beer. Uh, but I always try new beers like artisanal or anything, IPAs, etc. Do you have a favorite type? Like, is it IPA or is it is there a certain type that stands out for you? Lager. I'll go with like, Lager? Uh, or like blonde. Yeah. 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 Right on. All right. Well, let's also give introduction of today's panelists. Stacy, you want to kick it off? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front end engineer on Trello. Jim Young, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm an engineering manager at Netflix as well. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned on the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Performance. 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 It's a good question. I think so. I think historically I think we've so. allowed concatenation. Yeah. We we do ca- we count that or we allow it to pass without a drink? No, no, no. You should we count, count it. it. You, you have we to count it. You have to drink. Well, in this case, Rian has to drink. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think that's how we've done it. All right. So perf, performance, whatever it is, yes, we will all take a drink. All right. Well, let's uh, kick off the topic. First question is, what considerations do you have to make when building a web application in 2022? Because there is a lot out there. When you start a brand new project or web application, what do you think about? What do you go to first? Yeah, um, I can kick off. I think for me, it's the user. Who is your user? So uh, as a front end, I always consider like, we're kind of the interface between the back end user. We get to make an enormous amount of technological decisions that affect them. Um, so yeah, when I'm thinking about the user, like where do they live? What's the infrastructure like? Um, and also what are we building for them? Because that can change the kind of user that you have. So if you're building some kind of massive software as a service, you know, you're going to get deep engagement. I don't know, something like a Jira or a, a Sentry or people are doing deep work on it. That's going to be a little bit different kind of user than if you're building a marketing site or a blog site or a news page. Um, and also key for me is what kind of devices are they on? Is it fast, you know, ideal situation? You've got your MacBook, you're on a wired connection, super fast, everything is amazing. Or are you like, I don't know, sitting in the metro with your phone out, waiting for the connection to come back when you're in the station so you can look up, I don't know, where the restaurant is or something, which I think, you know, we've all been there. Um, And then related to that user is also for me, who are your direct competitors? Because you've got to be as good, if not better than them. So yeah, do some research there. Find out how fast their site is and make sure you're faster um, or that you're considering that when you start to make your tech choices. So for me, it's like, Work out all that user stuff first and then start to make technical decisions if you have that latitude, if you're starting a new project, because obviously we're not. Some of us have to work on existing things and that's a bit more difficult. Um, But if you're starting something new, that's where I would go first. I love that in like the terms of thinking thinking first of the user. It just made me thought of like for for myself is what are we trying to achieve? That's the first one. Like. Is this going to be needed offline? Is this going to be more static? So we need more performance. So, you know, we need to generate or more dynamic. I also, since, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for front-end infrastructure, I naturally start thinking about like build systems, technologies, uh, linters. Of course, 
taking in account what the user needs, but always thinking, and also, are we going to need SEO? So maybe some server-side rendering needs to be in there. Uh, of payments, uh, you know, Stripe integration, PayPal integration. Then another thing is, is this the scale of the application? Is it going to be international? So we need to start thinking about internationalization, localization, and of course, accessibility. I mean, always, always think of that. Um, and data access, like what technology are we using? Do we have an API already, like REST, or should be, I don't know, GraphQL, et cetera? There's honestly, like, there's tons of considerations. I don't even know where to start. And hosting. Yeah. I think especially the internationalization, that can be a big, like, you really have to build that in from the start. Um, and you have to choose a tool that will let you do that because trying to add that in later is a headache. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think also, with then the tech choices that you make based on who your user is like, it's like easy to default to, okay, single page application, single page application. It's it's like almost the industry default. Like you see it, um, all the hiring uh, posts you see, it's like five years of you know, framework experience or whatever, boot camps are optimizing and learn React in six weeks, et cetera. Um, and I get that because that's exactly what the market is asking for. Um, and I really, I actually love frameworks. I, I love the developer experience of it. I love, especially in big teams, when you can share components and things, that's really powerful. Uh, things that are reusable. Uh, some of these tools are fantastic. But if you, in your initial use of research phase, you were like, okay, well, I'm building something that has almost no interactivity and I need it to be super fast because my competitors are super fast. And it's not going to have a lot of deep, you know, work that I like kind of shallow engagement, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Then the single page application is maybe not what you should reach for because, yeah, you're going to just end up having to refactor all that out. And I know there's server side rendering. I know there's code splitting. But I, I do feel that like now in 2022, we're starting to see technologies that are letting us. Uh, the awareness is really being built that we don't have to just start with create React app or a new view app or a new Angular app. Um, so that's really exciting to me this year. I'm really seeing it explode. You know, lots of different um, groups working on different things there. I was thinking too, um, uh, and you mentioned uh, components and the idea uh, that sparked the idea of like design systems and maybe like depending on like the context of where you're building this app, like you're at a company that has a design system already, then you take that into consideration as well. Like does that design system have the kinds of things you need and you know what? What are like? What kind of thing are you building? What um, do do you need uh, to build some stuff from scratch, or can you take advantage of yeah things that exist um, if you have a design system, or do you need to build a design system? Are you like the the first? You know that there's going to be multiple apps eventually. Like you're building on some sort of suite of something, and you know that that's going to be important. So maybe you, you plan some time out for that as well. I, I like the answer so far, uh, Rihanna. I like your answer on user research and understanding the use case. And, and Carlos and Stacey, you're talking about like the, the tooling and what else you need. I think that's all great and lovely. I respectfully, I think the truth is how people decide to build web apps today is they build with what they're most comfortable with. Like in an ideal world, we would do all these things like, hmm, do we need a single page application for this? Probably not. We can build this in static HTML or let's use some easy builder. But the reality is developers and engineers are engineers and they want the challenge. So what I've seen is like people are aware of like, yeah, we should probably look into what we should build, like the kind of technology. But what happens is we go with whoever's the loudest person in the room or whoever's the most comfortable with whatever, or I, I don't know, like some, it biases more towards the developer experience than the user experience. And that's something I've seen pretty consistently. I hope that's changing with like the availability of tools, but I don't know. I'm a little cynical these days. Yeah. I'm going to just say very similar to Jem too. It's, uh, you know, it's like, I love the approach that you both mentioned actually and Stacy, sorry, all three of you is that, you know, starting out from that user experience, thinking about what's best for the user accessibility design systems, I would say maybe fits in more for like the developer experience, but even for the user experience of like, how do you have consistency and, and thinking about that? But yeah, oftentimes I feel like we tend to lean towards like, oh, I want to try this new framework or like, this is the latest and greatest, or we spend so much time with build systems, right? Like, oh, I've got to have NPM installed 
all of it. And like, we spend so much time doing that, or it has to be a, a, you know, single page application when in fact, really like maybe a static page is great. Or we try and over uh, engineer everything. And we could have probably started MVP, getting something out the door and just getting that minimal viable product to your users to start to iterate on. I think that to me is something that I continue to reflect on where I'm like, how can we start to learn faster versus trying to build the ideal state and in, in basically in a box because you haven't really got something out to your users. So I think like all of what you're saying is where we should be starting. And I, I want to echo that, that I think is all valid, valid points. Yeah, I wanted to say that it's definitely aspirational. Like when we think about what to consider and like trying to best practices, but like echo to jam, like you end up doing what either your company is doing already and using the current infrastructure and current libraries and current design system, because then who's going to maintain that, right? Like you're not a single person startup or it's a company, it's a team. So you got to, you know, do the tools that a lot of people know. So it's maintainable, it's scalable, and, you know, other people can pitch in when, when you need it. So that's why I keep saying it's aspirational, but reality is a, is a different one. So design systems have has come up a few times, right? We just have mentioned a couple times now. I am very curious to hear everyone's thoughts on design systems. Not that like bad or good, but like I personally, I think they are very great. Like I think there's a lot of value to them. Companies are doing it better and better, but it is such a huge undertaking. And so I'm maybe curious of like, how do you even start that or how do you make it successful? Are there tools or things that are making it easier in 2022? Um, I can speak a little bit about that because I was at PayPal leading uh, engineering design systems team. So I love that work and I love that role. And basically um, how it started was that there was a need for consistency across the side. Like we had multiple teams, multiple um, applications that they started becoming consistent colors, sizes, font typography, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the need for a standardization of common components was there, right? Like how do we declare buttons? How do we declare colors even? So the, the, like the way right now, I feel one of the things that a lot of people start using or the base of the design system, of course, is design and, you know, Figma files and designers coming up with these patterns and also engineering helping identify these patterns, but then extracting the values that represent the design system, let's say, as a generic way, what, what is called like design tokens, right? Like the most atomic unit of a color, all the colors on the brand, all the sizes on the brand, what are the typographies? You, you express this into a, let's say, uh, agnostic, format like a JSON or a JAML or I don't know, like a text field. And then you use a transformer. Like there's, there are things like a uh, style, style dictionary, I believe, and Theo and other like tools that basically grab that JSON and transform them into technology specific formats, variables, CSS variables, less variables or SAS or even Swift classes. So in, in PayPal, what we did was a design system for cross-platform. So basically, we'll export the tokens for Swift classes, Android XML, and CSS less variables and JavaScript variables. And then from that, we build libraries representing the design using the token. So changes could be propagated. Just a few things, but it's a difficult undertake. Like it was a lot of work and a lot of convincing the teams because there's also the whole, um, you know friction between feature work and consistency work and ryan is like and then you know we were like hey can we please adopt the design system and they're like oh but we need to do all these features like there's no time so that's also the painful part of making a design system a scalable arch design system in the context yeah we're just putting together a design system we've been doing it for a while actually and absolutely echo what carlos said it's about we got to a point where well I can remember where we had 41 shades of blue which were very similar you know uh, which had somehow got scattered all across the application and you sort of go oh no how did we get to this point um, and so at that point yeah you can do some cleanup and so on but then um, as you scale up with more teams which is exactly what happened with us it all starts to creep back so at that point you've got to go okay we've got to enforce this somehow and that's where the design system starts back everyone has to use the design system and that was incredibly helpful but as, as you say, it's a massive amount of work because 
it's almost never done and you can go back and iterate and say accessible you know it's got to be accessible as well that's not necessarily a straightforward thing to do depending on how complex your components are um and yeah for us as well the the sort of t uh, battle between feature work and i guess design debt or tech debt however you want to look at it it's a struggle um and making people see the value of this consistency um is super important because if the user has a consistent user experience i think it's one of those little things that it's hard to quantify but it has a real impact on what they feel when they browse through your application or your web page I, I love that you called out the multiple shades of blue carlos and jem can probably attest to this at the on the netflix web application like for many years it was like we joked that we had like especially like 50 shades of gray was probably coming out at that time but we had like 50 shades of gray it was ridiculous there was so many different and you're like why like what 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 is this being used for and there was no rhyme or reason it was just people putting in trying to get the hex value and it's just a little bit off and so you throw that in there and maybe it's a variable maybe it's not it's it just was like inconsistent and so i think that yes design systems make that more consistent it is hard to see the value at first it's a it is an investment i agree that it makes the user experience more consistent but also I think over time, the velocity of your engineering should be a lot faster too. You're not having to reinvent the wheel. You can grab a component that's done and throw it in and then iterate on the pieces that are brand new. Also, if you have to change something, you can update that in one spot and it updates everywhere, keeps things consistent, but also like you're not having to go and do that multiple places. Yeah, I was going to say, you can also just, you don't even have to call it a design system. You can just start by like doing good, like, programmatic practices like you know when you create put some components in a component folder and call um, your you know button component and and it make it really easy for people to know where something is and use it and then uh, you know put put some variables for all your colors but you don't have to like go you know if at the beginning if you're small and you're just starting out maybe you just you don't have to call it a design system you can just call it um, like good good code hygiene and practices like making variables and sharing things yeah i totally agree stacy it doesn't have to be this like you know you've got a whole storybook and you've got a whole you know separate npm package which you can go down that road and that's fine but yeah it can be just css variables and that's the nice thing about the new css custom properties you know they're easy to inspect in the browser um that's one thing i really like to use and i'm interested to hear you talk about that with regards to design tokens Carlos, because I think that's really powerful that you start with a Figma file and then you end up with something that the developer can inspect in the browser without having to have gone through necessarily some massive process of building out a, a design system. The tools are, are really helping us out these days. Um, and also um, to the point about, yeah, what people like to do, that it makes you, it makes fast to iterate when you have a design system. 100% agree because especially what I hear from developers I work with is, you know, these are smart people. They want to work on fun problems. They don't want to build a form for the 20th time. They want to just grab the components they need, put them together and work on the interesting part and get it out to users quickly and hear how it's actually performing. Um, that's what developers are asking for these days. So we should let them do that by giving them the tools to do that. I think what, to me, what what I'm getting from from this conversation is the, the tools and technology exist to solve a lot of the problems we're talking about. Uh, Internationalization, accessibility, performance, uh, better Cheers. developer experience via design systems. Cheers. Cheers. So all the tooling exists, but we don't make use of these things necessarily. So why is that? Like we, we, we have the solutions. Like we all know, I, I can look up how to do all this stuff, but there's still sites that aren't accessible. There's still sites that are slow. There's still sites that should have been a static site instead of uh, a spa. So like, why are we still in the state that we're in, even though the solutions exist? Do you all think it's just like, is it maybe a bit overwhelming? Probably. I, I wanted to say that I think at some point you start lean and nimble, right? Like very good side. And as new feature, features come in and product changes and I feel like also the, the way of software development practices we have now, it's more volatile than, let's say, 15 years ago. So we now have more need to change. And with change comes additions, bigger bundle sizes, you know, maybe accessibility. I guess how can we enforce or prevent or be, I guess is that from the beginning, and maybe we didn't talk about it when we say considerations, but one consideration could be starting 
when you start that project, maybe put together some performance budget and accessibility, you know, reporting, you know, as you start. So as you keep going, you don't regress. That's like, I guess I'm trying to, to see if we can stop the fire hose, but, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's reality. All sites, you know, become slow at some point. They live enough to become slow. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think, I think for me, it's a few things. So I think partly it's kind of, um, you, you can start in a small startup, you can start a new project, you can kind of do things the way you want maybe to begin with. But once you get to a certain size, maybe you have other projects. Okay, so maybe you can't just make a choice that doesn't affect the other developers and the other projects. Uh, maybe you're already using a design system. Okay, so it's got a, maybe it's a design system that uses React components. Okay, so it kind of has to be React. So you kind of don't have a choice now. Um, so there's business needs that you can't just, you cannot simply say, I'm going to migrate this project from, I don't know, React to Vue or React to Angular without a massive cost of technical debt. So you've got to maybe train developers. You've maybe got to hire developers. You've got to actually do the work. I've been through a few migrations. I'm sure if quite a few of us have, it's a huge amount of work. And you can end up with a really nice end result, but that's a feature that doesn't get shipped. That's maybe two features that don't get shipped. So uh, that's an impact. And then I think also for a while, the um, the landscape has been very much, you mentioned it maybe being overwhelming, Ryan. I think I think it is. And I also think we have kind of become quite entrenched in this single page application, React. And that took a while to take hold and it has taken hold and people are quite comfortable with that. And there's great support and community around all of those things. Huge amounts of documentation, loads of places you can look things up. And some of the newer things maybe are not as well documented or maybe have not taken hold as much because, yeah, so you've got to do that. Uh, they're not by default included in some of these tools. I think that is starting to change. I, I see Next.js is doing some really interesting things, server-side rendering. But when, until they're in the defaults, until it's easy to migrate, I think people will go, okay, we could do that. But how am I going to persuade my stakeholders that I can actually make this change in, I don't know, three sprints or whatever? And yeah, that, that can be quite difficult as a developer to fight against that kind of um, the push of the product, which is right, because we are doing this for the users. So we should be shipping them features that are useful. It's like a push and pull. It's quite difficult. Yeah, agree. I agree. It's I think the web is such a like forgiving runtime environment. You can really put something together that's very not like the out, the output that you get, you know, the resulting HTML can be um, very poorly formed. And it, that was on purpose, right? The web was meant to be forgiving on purpose. Um, and it made it very easy for all, like uh, lots of people to create for it, which I think is why it has become so pervasive, but it's also so forgiving that um, if you have, you know, say developers that have only learned, a framework, but they haven't learned the underlying reasons why, you know, semantic HTML is good for accessibility. And they don't know that they should use a different tag when just a div works. Why would I need to think about? So I think there's like education stuff. Um, you need to like have a lot of training. And so because it's so easy to put something out there that isn't performant, isn't accessible, isn't, um, there's yeah you don't have a compiler saying oh you you use the wrong tag there you can add all that tooling but again that takes a lot of time right you have to have someone that cares about it enough to add tons of winters or toolings that's running at build time to catch things and then even tooling doesn't catch everything right like accessibility there's like 30 percent of stuff can be caught with tooling but then there's like a whole gamut of stuff that is not cut by tooling so yeah it's quite easy to create something bad <laughs> Which I guess to to the point, yeah, it is overwhelming. There's so much out there, which is, you know, it, exactly that. But I think it's a lot to take on and, and learn. One thing that's come up a few times now, and I think we've even talked about this in previous episodes, but I am really curious on all of your thoughts. When do you reach for the single page application versus just going static? What what how do you how does the decision tree come together for something like that? Yeah, I think I would look at that engagement if we know something about the engagement. Um, is it like you're using, I don't know, something real time like chat or lots of video or, yeah, highly interactive pages? Then, yeah, I think single page application is a good choice because if people are willing to um, have that initial load time, um, fine. You know, then after that, it's, it's very, it is very fast. Uh, we did it for a reason. You know, it feels like an app. It feels nice to use. Um, 
also ideally if they have a you know a good connection speed that really helps um, because of the amount of javascript you're likely going to be sending them um, and then yeah make sure you're looking at a tool that maybe you do have the options to switch into something like server-side rendering if you need it uh, that gives you some flexibility in future because the worst thing is to get locked in and then think oh no we have to migrate because we didn't have we don't have this and yeah um whereas if it's something where you think a user is going to come in maybe they come in via search they're going to pop in read what they want and you'd like them to stay on your site but realistically they might not like a, a news site we're going to come in read your article and probably leave then I think make it as fast as possible. Try and start static first and try and add the interactivity on top. Um, maybe use some kind of um, some of the new stuff out there. I'm quite excited by Astro, um, which is a new tool which um, basically lets you use like framework components and then turns off all the JavaScript by default and lets you add it back in. So you could have a one piece on your page, maybe needs to be interactive, like um, I don't know, the navigation or something. And you say, yeah, make that piece interactive. I still get to use all my React components, but it just renders static HTML, which quite often is actually what they were just rendering anyway. Um, and maybe then that's still the good developer experience. You get to use your design system, <laughs> which is important, as we've said. Um, and you still kind of get the benefit of the static site, but giving you some options for the future. So I think that's probably what I would consider, the engagement level of your user. I'm sure there are other considerations too. Yeah, I wanted to say that exactly on the engagement part, I feel like also we've come a long way with the word SPA. I feel like, you know, before, if you think about it, when you when you heard the word SPA, you thought about this Angular application with like a four megabyte bundle that needed to load initially and then a bunch of spinners everywhere. Well, the current reality is not like that, right? You have things like, Next.js, which is server-side render the first page, and then it becomes almost like an SPA, an SPA right? right? You don't perform full navigations. Everything is on the client. So I think we've come a long way that, you know, SPA is now is, is, is faster. But for me, the considerations would be around, you know, if my site is very dynamic and needs personalization, A-B testing and a bunch of like things, I'll probably go a little bit more with an, with an SPA or like single page application because I know I will be calling a bunch of APIs on runtime, or if I need to deal with like user data, like you cannot statically render user data or cache, you know, things like, for instance, financial information. That's like, no, 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 no. So that would make me go into SPA depending also on the need or, or where are we building, right? Uh, but in a static site, for instance, marketing sites, easily static and can be very fast if you do like the whole jam stack and you know you put them on the cdn pre-render and like super fast um blocks as well can be um maybe static page or static sites and e-commerce some e-commerce not all but like maybe your small pop-up shop e-commerce that has maybe less than 100 products you can make it static and make it super fast uh, although when you go deeper into the payment flows and whatnot you're probably going into a either provider or you got to build something with an API. Uh, what I'm going to say is that right now, I feel like the current landscape has interwined a little bit the whole SPA dynamic and the whole static, having frameworks like Net.js, which offers you both. You can have certain pages static, you have certain pages dynamic. So I love it. It's beautiful. You don't have to be like really all static or really all dynamic. You can now interwind and mix the tool the tooling is allowing you now. All right, Carlos, I, I like your call on security, like how you can't pre-render, say, like bank account information. That, that's something as a, a JavaScript engineers, I don't think we think of often about security at all. Yet, there's so many vulnerabilities out there that are caused by just bad practices, things like that. Uh, that's an aside. Uh, here's something I haven't heard mentioned in a long time, and it was so hyped. I was part of that hype train, you know, as a hype boy on stage, like giving talks about this technology, but I haven't heard about it in a while. Do you all remember progressive web apps? Yeah, what, what happened with those? Remember that, that glorious future that service workers were going to provide with server push and offline caching and the ability to download an app to your phone or your desktop? Is that still a thing? Is it relevant in 2022? If so, why not? Like, what, What's the landscape look like for progressive web applications today? A brief comment, uh, but on that term, I feel like Yes, and even if you look for like, what are every year, if you look 2021, 2022, 2019, what are the trends for web? You'll see it every single time progressive, progressive. It's like the ever thing that, the thing that will ever come. 
And for my end, honestly, like been working in web for a long time and I still have to build a proper PWA. I mean, you add things like the manifest, so, you know, you get stuff like PWA-like, but like a proper offline first service workers, purple pattern pushing from the server, etc. Yes, never. I, I do think there are some tools that provide this out of the box now. I, I feel like Angular maybe does. I haven't used it myself recently, but I also, I know sites do have them because I sometimes open my application tab and see in the dev tools and see, you know, lots of uh, stuff that's been cached there. Um, so I think some of it's done out of the box, but I also think it does depend on your market. So I know um, I've read quite a few case studies of some people who serve to products in India or Africa where that's like super important because of uh, cost of data, for instance. Um, I have to admit, I I also have done a, like a internal talk about it. I got super excited, hype, hype, but I never built one either. <laughs> so um, I think maybe partly it's because uh, caching data and deciding on those cache strategies and, and the service worker, it can, it can actually get into some problems. It's, it's not that straightforward. Um, although I know there are tools like Workbox that are meant to make it straightforward, but I, I have also seen talks of horror stories of service workers not getting unregistered and yeah, not up to date on it. So that hopefully that's all a thing of the past, but yeah, it is quite complex deciding on those things. Yeah. One last topic about, yeah, the caching stuff being difficult. I think there's, it's really difficult as well for um, things like going online and offline. And if you have things like WebSockets and things being pushed down to you, now let's say you go offline, you're missing a, a particular amount of data and then doing catch-up calls um, to make sure that the data is remaining fresh. Like it's, it's a lot of complexity there. So I think that's also tough, tougher uh, people to build from scratch. So another thing that has come up a few times here, or we, you know, we've mentioned technologies, tools, libraries, frameworks, like that's, that's come up quite a bit. And I think that that's always something that we're keeping, I don't know, keeping on our radar, like what's new, what's exciting. And, and maybe, you know, we're talking about trends in 2022. What are you all excited about that you weren't maybe aware of, or just becoming aware of for 2022? I, I mentioned it earlier, but I, uh, Astro is really interesting to me. It's, um, so it uses this kind of concept of island architecture where you make pieces of the page interactive rather than the whole page, still using hydration. So it will hydrate, you start with static HTML and you hydrate the bits you need to add the interactivity. Um, but what I really like is you basically can use any framework component at all. Um, and um, I was a little, I was curious about it when it started, but it's got seed funding. It's got huge community that's really active. They keep pushing out updates. So that's interesting to me. Um, I'm also interested in, I think it's builder.io, they have something called Quick, um, which is sort of, again, the same concept that you start with static HTML, and then it tries to like do a lot of lazy loading, code splitting, to basically delay the, the JavaScript as much as possible. And then they have this concept of resumable applications, which I must admit, I need to go and read again to get into my head, but it's, it sounds quite interesting. Um, and they are also looking into using other uh, framework components into it. Um, I think right now they use a quick specific syntax and it's QWIK, just in case you search for it. Um, so yeah, that's what I really like is the idea that we can use stuff we're already used to, uh, to build applications or to build small sites. And then um, we get the benefit of not having to switch uh, frameworks. Um, and then I guess the final one for me, I think it's already quite popular or it's quite well known, but Remix is interesting, although it is coming from a full stack perspective, but the progressive, I tried it out a few weeks ago, like the progressive enhancement approach that you are essentially writing, I think it's an abstraction over Express on the server side, and then you're doing lots of React, essentially writing React components, but you get, you know, you write a form component, but it's actually just an HTML form. So it's combining these basic web APIs, trying to just progressively enhance them and you can ship no JavaScript, whereas, but you're writing, it looks like you're writing React, but there's just no JavaScript. And it's, um, it seems really powerful. I think it um, it's combining kind of a lot of concepts in one. So that one, I wonder how long it, it will take people to start adopting, but because of course, it's kind of got React behind it, which is extremely popular. Um, I'm really uh, gonna keep my eye on that one. I'm also very interested on, on Remix. I feel like the, Thing that they promote about using more of the platform, like like forms, nightedly and on submit, and you know things are more web platform is something that is actually good, right? In terms of perform performance, 
<laughs> and other good <laughs> UX. But the things that I'm excited, cheers. Yeah. I'm excited about like a lot of things, but like to name a few, I, I feel like Rust in general, like I'm excited about the front end tooling landscape changing and becoming faster by using uh, Rust. Rust is, is a language that I don't know. So now I'm excited and I want to start learning a little bit more because I feel like it's becoming something very good in mix with the JavaScript ecosystem. Um, another one is React server components. Probably you have mentioned here, but I'm excited because I hate the whole thing about you know server-side rendering and then shipping those almost static components into the bundle to, ser to render again. Like, it's like twice the rendering. It's a waste. It's a waste of cycles of, you know, power on the humanity. So I'm hoping that that solves a little bit. Uh, <laughs> right? It's like, yep, yep. Uh, and the tooling Vite, uh, is it Vite or Vite? I don't know. I call it Vite. Uh, the building tool uh, by the view guy. Vite and Rome. Those two, I feel like Rome has had some bumpiness, but I feel like they're promoting something interesting around that is a one-stop shop for linting, building, everything, right? Pre-tier or formatting. Uh, Jim? Uh, running a platform team, I, I get excited about things that are maybe a little different from you all. Uh, I, I'm really excited about Turbo Repo. Like the implementation is, is just so, so easy and it speeds up our builds by a tremendous amount. Uh, I'm excited that there's more focus on that space rather than just pure UI development. Uh, I'm perpetually excited by WebAssembly. I, I see the innovations coming from that area. I know it's it's going to be niche for most people. I think this is not diminutive of, of UI engineers. It's just like far too codey and there's not a lot of UI involved in it. So I think a lot of people will be turned off by the complexity of that. But I think the power there of having your own runtime that is near native speed in the browser, in any browser, and can be run on desktop as well is like really, really powerful. Uh, Definitely not PWAs. I'm not hyping WebAssembly in the same way. I just think it has a lot, a lot of potential there. What what I've noticed is coming out is you you all mentioned Remix, and you mentioned Next.js. It's interesting that those are built on React, which is like, are are we in another stage of web development where we have like the tool bases of React, Angular, Vue? Uh, you know, some of the other big ones. And now we're building tooling on top of that. Because that, just from just my observation here, it does seem like we're kind of leaning in that direction now. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that we were talking earlier about like the complexity of building something from scratch and how um, how much knowledge you have to have for like the tooling and getting, you know, server-side rendering set up. Like it's really hard. And it's very interesting to me that there are entire companies or startups that are getting funding and dedicating all of their effort and time into making that a lot easier so that you can focus on like building your features and actually solving your business problem and not spend all your time on the technical complexities of it. So I, I find that really fascinating. And it's very interesting to see them betting on React as well. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool, actually, that it's like taking something like React, which has been amazing, like we've all like as a community have leveraged that many, many times. It's a great framework or library, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's been great. And I like when there's these add-ons because it's people seeing that there's something that more that's needed, maybe for their own use case, but instead of going and creating a brand new framework, they're just extending it more. And I think that that's really, really great because often in the past we would just be like, now nah, let's just create a brand new framework. And then we'd all have to do our joy of migrating to that latest and greatest framework, which is so expensive. And so I like this idea of being a little more uh, just building on top and like being able to swap something out if you really need something different, but not having to start from the ground up. And I think that's huge. I th I'm, I'm really happy to see that direction. I'm going to say something that I'm excited that is going to be controversial. Um, and if Jeff is ready... And it's the Web3, but the certain concepts and practices. Okay, hear me out, Jeff. Jeff is already like, oh, no, this guy. Okay, I'm not excited about the whole blockchain or forcing the blockchain inside everything or NFTs or shit coins or all that stuff. I'm excited about the whole thing about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, and, you know, 
proof of stake in economics and governance. I, I'm excited because, like, for instance, I, I've seen how they have this whole thing where, you know, they have proposals, they vote on things, and people have ownership, even if they don't belong to a proper, like, company. I feel like they have made this whole tooling, okay? So it's tooling to make decisions in a way that is more asynchronous and people have stake on it, right? I feel like sometimes engineering decisions is hard um, and these type of things, you know, help on building, you know, governance and all of that. So I'm excited for that. Again, not on the underlying forcing everything, but on the practice of like decentralized autonomous organization, ownership over thing. There's this thing called Coordinate, I believe. Uh, It's a tool for DAOs and basically has things like um, incentivized participation, reward contributions, and like voting rights, and you know, um, you know, members, etc. So that's the thing. Uh, maybe I'll remove it from the Web three uh, Ponzi scheme and shenanigans, and have the the tooling available for engineering groups to make decisions, to rewards, to like say thanks and send you like something like a token or whatever. That would be cool for me. That's what I'm excited about. Jam, what's your rebuttal on that? No rebuttal. I, I think Carlos covered it well it's a shame that the ponzi-ish nature nature of crypto and nfts have become intertwined with um daos i agree i i think the potential is there however it's what it's tied to and what it's associated with that will probably that might hinder its own adoption which is kind of a shame because like you're saying carlos it's a good idea but it's just like that ecosystem that you have to get involved in to become a, become part of that, uh, it's just, it turns a lot of people off. So uh, if any lesson that I've learned over my years and kind of one, doing, doing this podcast for six years and also just being a web developer watching trends is that it's not technology that shapes kind of the future of how we build, it's people, and it's how we behave and it's how we hype it up. It's what we get excited about it doesn't matter how great and innovative something is if people can't get behind it or the, the documentation's poor or the, the de- developer experience is poor, uh, which is something completely different than I would have thought, like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, like doing computers that like, oh no, it's all about the code. It's about the elegance, about uh, the performance. It's about all these other things. But really it's about like the people who get behind it, the companies that sponsor it. it, it there's a lot of complications. So yeah, I want to believe in, in the technologies like you're talking about. But I don't know if they'll be adopted just because of kind of the history of how they came about. Ryan, you have thoughts? No additional thoughts on that one. I'll, uh, <laughs> but I, I like both of your points. We're coming up towards picks. And I thought like one thing that I often think about is we often have a lot of new engineers to to the community. So 2022 might be their like coming right up, uh, starting out. And we have a lot of listeners that are brand new to the community what advice would you give someone who's new in 2022? Like, what should they be thinking about? Like we said, there's a lot of things out there that it's overwhelming. There's a lot. Uh, for me, it's always focus on your basics because with the basics, you can do anything. So if you know JavaScript, you're going to be able to understand any framework with a little bit of extra, you know, little learning curve. Um, and if you understand performance, I do think that awareness is being built. And I think it can really give you an advantage. Cheers. <laughs> I think it can really give you an advantage when you're um, when you're applying for a job. If you can talk, that, that I, I do quite a lot of hiring and interviewing. Cheers. And I, I often ask about that because it's really interesting to me, um, both to see kind of take a pulse of what's going on in the community and what developers are knowing about. And it is often something that is, um, I think also like accessibility, kind of it's not necessarily prioritized by businesses. So um, I would say, look at your basics. And keep an eye on what's happening with performance in terms of um, your JavaScript, but also just websites in general. And always remember accessibility because that um, can really open doors for you. There's quite a few companies I do now start to see job postings asking for that, which is really nice. Um, And it's we're working for, like I said at the start, we're working for the user, in my opinion, front end developers are, you know, to help the user uh, have a good experience in combination with our UX colleagues and our backend colleagues and all the others. Um, And we can make such a difference. So um, yeah, having that knowledge and awareness, you don't have to be an expert, just starting to know a little bit about it using your semantic HTML um, is super powerful. 
Um, completely, completely agree. Agree. Focus on the basics, like the pillars of the web, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript will get you in any framework, in any library, in anything. You don't need to learn all the libraries. Like I've been working on this. I probably only work in React now. I haven't learned Vue or the Ang well, newer Angular. I, will, I have the old one, Backbone, etc. All the frameworks. I mean, the basics can be translated and you can learn it easily. And another thing is that like, um, I guess that to stop being on tutorial hell, like build something. Uh, rather than, you know, being on tutorial hell, that will let you practice a lot. I know you love to watch the Frontend Master Gem courses, but like if you build something, it's probably better and you will learn a lot. I watched them, by the way, some time ago. So thank you, Gem. Uh, but but basically building something will help you understand probably things better and practice the, the skill than just being on tutorial hell. Um, but yeah, don't don't overwhelm with technologies. The basics are good. Accessibility, don't sleep on it. That's must. Like performance as well. Like Cheers. Said, everything, everything. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the uh, front and masters plug, Carlos. Uh, I'll just plus three that focus on the basics. It's so tempting to get started with like Next.js or create React app or the million other tools that there that can like just kickstart you into this whole web application. You're like, wow, I built this thing. It's really easy. But when you press people on it, they don't understand how it works underneath the hood. And that really is what it takes to be the difference between a coder and an engineer is understanding how it all comes together. Uh, and I also echo, yeah, tutorials are great, but if you just walk down that paved road, that's the only road you're going to know. And then the minute you switch jobs and they ask you something that's not on a paved road, you're going to be like, what? Well, I can't, I can't Google this. And that's where you get stuck. So yeah, tutorials are great for getting started. Build your own thing. Build what makes you happy. Stay off of Twitter. Twitter will make you feel bad. It'll make you feel unproductive. Like, because all you're seeing is people's highlights from the projects they worked on for months. Uh, it can really be dismotivating uh, to to see that, and you're like, ah, oh, I can't even get my app launched. I, I and I think the last one would be um, take advice from mentors and people that are more senior than you. And I know that's like a little condescending as a senior engineer, but the the points that Carlos and Rian were making about like accessibility and performance and uh, things like localization and testing, like all these things you need to build uh, into a good web application that you need to take for, in account in the beginning is something that's really easily missed. And a senior engineer will be like, hey, we should do all these things. Whereas I remember myself as junior, I'm like, yeah, yeah, screw you. I want to build this thing. And then like later down the road, it always bites me. So like, don't do better than I did. Take advice from senior people when they're like, hey, we should slow down and plan this out because it'll save us time in the long run. Because that's that's the difference between a senior engineer and a, and a junior engineer is that knowledge of having been bitten. And that's that's hard advice to take. And I know, especially if you're starting out, it's really tempting to be like, I have one more tip, which is, when you're building a side project or you're learning something, I completely agree, build something rather than get stuck in tutorial hell, but also keep your scope small. Learn from businesses that, that do this, you know, MVP, keep it as an MVP. Don't, you know, let the scope creep and you think, oh, it should also do this. And I have to say, I'm personally really bad at doing this in my side project, so I don't follow this advice at all, but it is makes your life so much better when you can see I've shipped something, it actually works and then iterate and then do the next thing. Um, yeah, th that's a piece of advice I should take myself, but um, yeah, do with it what you will. It's hard to add to this because you've all given uh, all the advice that I would also give. Um, I think another thing is to always uh, ask why. Um, Jan, you mentioned in the very beginning of the podcast to really think about your users and and what they need and don't start off with like maybe the technical thing and be like, oh, I'm going to use React. It's really popular. I'm super excited about it. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to use it. It's more like, but why, why are you, why do you want to use it? And if you start off with like, yeah, the basics of understanding JavaScript and HTML and CSS, then you can understand like, I have this problem and React solves this problem that I have. Like, that's why I want to use it. And I think that's really important so that you don't pick just a wild stack of stuff that um, adds to complexity, but doesn't maybe even solve the the problem that 
um, for your users and the things you're trying to build. You all don't leave me much. You had way too much good advice. I'm going to just add and say we all had to start somewhere, right? Like it was not easy. We've all made tons of mistakes and that's how you learn. Don't beat yourself up too bad when some error happens or you have no idea what this framework is doing or whatever it is. I think a lot of the way I've always learned, and I know I can share a lot of that from others on this podcast, is that you learn by doing. So keep doing it and figure out what what works for you. And you know what? I'm going to say something on the Twitter piece. I'm like... Twitter can be helpful. Just find the positive Twitter side. There are people out there that are very helpful uh, on Twitter. There's really great communities around helping each other. But yes, there is some bad. So you, you take it with a grain of salt. All right. We covered a lot. This is a really great episode. Let's dive into picks. We In each episode, we like to share things that we found interesting and want to share with all of our listeners. Stacey, you want to start it off? Sure. I've got two picks. Uh, first one is a song called Bone Mics by Overmono. Uh, Pitchfork described it as familiar traces of UK garage and techno, um, to which the brothers add a hint of IDM, but it lands in an uncharted territory between all three. Uh, The next one is a song called Vocoder by Floating Points. Um, It's one of the heaviest, danciest tracks that I've ever heard um, from him. And uh, Stereo Gum described it as heady, frenetic club music. Good for for coding and headphones. All right. That sounds great. Jem, do you want to... Share your picks. Yeah, normally I have Valley Silicon picks where I pick things that are outrageous and ludicrously expensive only because we we all get paid too much in software engineering. However, I haven't had one in a while because of inflation. And I really don't know how much things cost anymore because, uh, like, you know, inflation, depending on where you are in the world, can be up to 30%. So I can't tell it's expensive anymore. So I, I have to take a pause on that until prices settle out. And then I can say, like, hey, that thousand dollar pair of boxers is, is overpriced uh, but it has bluetooth so in in uh in lieu of my valley silicon picks i have a book which is pretty rare I, I don't get a lot of time to read these days but it's a book by andreas kluth called hannibal and me what history's greatest military strategists can teach about success and failure i i've been reading it, it it's a kind of a lighter more entertaining read well it's not super light but it has an interesting lens of how we view ourselves and this idea that we have pivotal moments in our lives that have changed uh, who we are and define us. But that's actually not true. Like those are just, that's like a human fallacy of like, it's these moments. It's really like everything in between that defines us. And that's much harder to, to focus on. So we fixate on like these, these bad times or good times that we think have changed the course of our, our lives or careers. But it's really not that. And it's like the everyday effort you put in. And it's kind of, change the way I think and the way I manage a little bit. So uh, check that book out. The next one is, uh, it's a show on Netflix. This one is is going to be very polarizing to people. It's called Guardians of Justice. So it's a superhero show. It's in a mixed media format. So sometimes it's live action and it's really, really low budget looking live action deliberately. Sometimes it's animated. Sometimes there's claymation. So it tells this story of uh, the superhero in a, in a parallel universe of Earth in like a very weird format. I'm sure there's a, like a name for it and I just don't know it. However, once you get past kind of the, the oddity of storytelling, you realize that by combining all these different mediums and not just live action, uh, you can tell something really compelling on a, on a better budget and you can do things you couldn't possibly imagine. Like why spend a million dollars on this choreographed fight scene when you just animate that? And it tells the story the same and once you get past that, it's a really, really good storyline. I think people just look at it and say, like, this is dumb or silly. But to me, like, you get to the end, and the story is is one of the best, more complex superhero stories I've ever seen. And it's outside of that kind of saccharine Marvel DC universe kind of area where we're in. Uh, I will warn you, it is very violent and is very, um, it is not for children at all. It's one of the more violent superhero shows, but... That's Guardians of Justice. It is on Netflix as a Netflix original. Check it out. And those are my picks. Great. Rianne, what do you have for our listeners? Yeah, uh, first one is uh, a site called patterns.dev. It's from um, Adi Osmani and a co-collaborator whose name I can't remember right now. Uh, and it's um, a really great uh, resource for design patterns in JavaScript, performance patterns, uh, it covers actually a lot of the topics we kind of mentioned today in that area. It's just this fantastic resource. It's really, I, I wish this had been around years ago because it summarizes it in such a helpful way. 
Um, so definitely recommend checking that out. Um, yeah, my other two are a bit more frivolous. Um, I have loved watching for years a D&D &D campaign that's Dungeons and Dragons called Critical Role, which it's not new, it's on its third uh, season, but it's one of my favorite ways to relax. I do not have time to play Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't played it that much in my life, but I, I have somehow managed to collect a, a set of source books just, I don't know, out of aspirationally wanting to play. Um, and there's something really nice about watching uh, a group of friends play together having a lot of fun. It's very wholesome. Um, it, it is a little violent at times. They are, you know, killing things in their D&D &D campaign, but um, super fun. I, I love it. It's kind of a nice uh, comforting thing to do at the end of the week for me. Um, and then finally, big shout out to my home assistant right now, because um, my daughter is uh, starting to talk. She really likes hearing animal sounds. And I can now say, I won't say it because I don't want to trigger everyone's home assistant, but I can say, what sound does a cat make? And then she will ask for it like again and again and again. And it's great because she, it keeps her entertained. Um, and I'm so happy that technology lets us do this now. We can just ask what a cat sounds like again and again and again um, to keep a toddler happy. So that's saving my life right now. That's great. And and soon she'll be calling it out herself. She'll learn how to call that Google or Amazon assistant, whatever it is, and, and they'll get responses on their own, which is even better. She is almost there. It's terrifying. I think it's going to start answering her soon. <laughs> That's awesome. Carlos, what picks do you have for us? I was going to say that on the assistant, my, my daughter already talks to it and asks for animal sounds as well. And it's so cool that it can understand Spanish, English, and any language now uh well before it was english only and i love it that she's asking like how does a um dog do in spanish and answers back in spanish love it um so for my picks the first one is like a double pick in the sense that like i, lo I love to get like to read articles about what's new and front end and etc so uh, two websites that i almost always reach is a smashing magazine you probably have seen it um excellent articles and guides and everything and of course css tricks that's that's another one that i feel like it's it's very good to keep up to date and check new things new css uh practices or like new frameworks etc so recommend those two uh for the second is a show at netflix uh it's kind of weird and didn't get a lot of maybe announcement but i really liked it it's called the house um, it's a stop animation, um, motion animation or something like that. It's one of those weird shows with like, you know, uh, animation and it talks about three stories and it's kind of like dark, greedy and, you know, very, very interesting. I watch it and like, I was, I loved it. I keep recommending to everyone like, Hey, watch that show. It's different. Uh, it's kind of weird, but it's cool. So I recommend that one, the house at Netflix. And the last one is a YouTube channel called The Pursuit of Wonder. Um, it's a channel about like philosophy and like videos about things that are like maybe mental philosophy questions and existentialism. I love things, anything about essentialism. I always think about like what's the meaning of life? What are we here? Things like that. Um, so this channel is about that and I definitely recommend it if you want to get into that whole train of thought i watched the house and um i guess you can call me a pleb i, I didn't understand it i watched all the way through and I, I kept waiting for like some greater meaning and I, I think i just missed it like what they were going for i like the style but yeah it just didn't click with me and i wanted to like it so maybe sometime you can explain like the the messages to me because yeah i think it could be good all right and i have two picks actually Oh, no, one's tech-related. I was like, both not tech-related, but yes, they are. One is. So one is a clothing brand, an athleisure-type clothing that I feel like a lot of people within my team or org have talked about, and so I went and purchased some, and very comfy. So the brand is called Viori clothing super comfy and like i've bought in a few things like t-shirt pants and like some nice kind of sweatpants super comfortable highly recommend them a little on the pricey side but quality is good so check them out and then uh, i've got a new light for one of my desks at home that i found really great it's called the elgato key light air it's just 
perfect for getting like really nice lighting when you're on calls. It's not super bright, but you get nice lighting for yourself and it's not super distracting. Uh, you can even control like how bright or the tone that uh, you want, like the coloring and everything. Uh, and you can control it right from your computer, which is kind of nice. So you can turn it on or off. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great addition to my desk. Uh, I want to thank Rian and Carlos. Thank you so much for joining the episode. This is an awesome discussion. I feel like I said early at the top of the episode, like we can be talking about this regularly. There's so many things that are constantly changing. So I'm, I'm happy to, with you all to join us and talk about it. What web development's like in 2022. Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is Carlos Castro. Yeah, same for me. I'm Rian Von S on Twitter and also LinkedIn. Um, I do have a personal site, but it hasn't been updated in so long. So I'm, I'm going to leave that. But uh, <laughs> I think it's rianvoness.com even. Uh, but yeah, Twitter is the best bet. Awesome. Well, and if you want to find Frontend Happy Hour, you can find us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? Something to cheers to. So keep it performant. Cheers. 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 cheers.